0: Welcome to Warriors Offcourt, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Sam Vicini, who covers the NBA draft for The Athletic. The Warriors' big prize for a lottery-bound season is a top pick in June's draft. But how much value does that really hold? Is there anyone Golden State could take who would make an immediate impact? I caught up with Vicini over the phone on Friday morning to discuss the strength of this draft, some of the top prospects, and what could make sense for the Warriors.
2: Sam, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm a huge fan of your work, um, some of the most in-depth draft coverage out there. To so our listeners, if you haven't already done so, please give Sam a follow on Twitter. Uh, look up his stuff at The Athletic. It's comprehensive. It's insightful.
1: Um, and
2: so I really appreciate Coming on, just to talk the draft and maybe what the Warriors could do. As you know, uh, this is going to be a really important draft for the Warriors. What are your in general thoughts about this draft? You know, do you, do you think it's
1: fair to say this is a weak draft? What a what a flattering intro, first and <laughs> foremost. Uh, no, I, I would say it's not a great draft, to be honest. I've been banging that drum for uh, a good little while now. I don't really think that. Uh, re Realistically, when I say a little while i 've been banging that drum now for about a year and a half that so this is probably not going to be a strong draft i uh, The freshman class in this draft is not particularly strong; we knew that coming in it 's a cyclical kind of business now whenever it comes to freshmen entering college basketball and you know over the last three years, I think we 've actually had uh some really good freshman classes entering college basketball, and next year 's freshman class uh, also is going to be pretty outstanding in my opinion but you know this one's just a little bit down and you know i think that the teams that are rough this year are not in the easiest position to acquire a guy that is going to be ready-made to play in the nba from day one but i do think that there are some guys that can uh you know come in and and maybe three years down the line bring some star power because this is a development draft. As much as anything, there are guys that have real upside here.
2: Yeah. In, in every draft, even weak drafts, there's, it seems like there's always at least a couple, one or two all-star caliber guys, you know, maybe like you said, they don't, they don't show it as rookies, but they end up developing into it. Um, So the Warriors, you know, As I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the worst teams in the NBA right now, they're hoping to kind of follow that Spurs model in 96-97, where they parlay one really bad year into a top draft pick like the Spurs did with Tim Duncan. I'm not saying there's a Tim Duncan in this draft, but use that to help them return to contention next season, whether it means trading the pick or, or, or drafting someone. So looking at, you know, the guy's, in the top five, guys who could go in the top five. I know the three names I keep hearing as potential number one picks are Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, and James Wiseman.
1: Yeah, Anthony Edwards is like a six-foot-five power athlete kind of guy, Uh, definitely a scoring guard more than a lead guard, Uh, can shoot the ball, take some tough shots, definitely a guy that has some shot selection concerns, we'll call them. Uh, You know – defends at times when he wants to. He's in a situation at Georgia right now that isn't outstanding, I would say, just in terms of they aren't hyper competitive in the SEC. They're not disastrously bad or anything, but it's a young roster. It's one of the youngest rosters in college basketball this season. So, uh, you know, there there aren't going to be uh there isn't going to be a chance to see Anthony Edwards in the NCAA tournament in all likelihood. So, uh what scouts are going to be looking for the rest of the year are going to be uh, ball handling, shot selection, being able to make the right decisions in pick and roll reads, and just kind of not getting frustrated by the situation. And, you know, the other two guys in LaMelo Ball and James Wiseman, we might not get to see them again this year. We're certainly not going to get to see James Wiseman again. James Wiseman is a guy that uh, is seven foot one with something like a seven foot six wingspan, a guy that has real potential to affect the game as a rim protector inside uh, a guy that can really uh, just use his length to affect shots in a way that uh, many guys just don't have the physical tools to do at the NBA level. He's done a great job on his frame and his body but there are some concerns about his desire to get physical inside and his, his motor, his want to, and uh, those are questions that have followed him around over the course of the last three years. The good news is that, you know, last spring was the most engaged I've ever seen him, going through McDonald's, going through Hoop Summit, going through, uh, I believe he was also a Jordan brand, like those events were his best events, and it looked like he was on a positive upward trajectory in a way that, uh, you know, th- there were questions about going into his senior year. And obviously, he played three games. It was three, you know, mixed result games two against really bad competition, and then one against Oregon, who was really good. Honestly, I think evaluators, they're going to look at those games, but it's going to be tough on them to get anything out of them. And then finally, Lomelo Ball is, in some ways, as difficult an evaluation as I can remember. Um, A a very skilled player. I think he's probably the best distributor and playmaker off of the pass in this class. He is, in a similar way to the way Lonzo was, just an absolutely exceptional thinker of the game of basketball. He really... Uh, just has a very high feel for the game when it comes to making plays for his teammates. Now, he's also a little bit better than Lonzo, I think, in that he can actually make plays in the half court. His dribble is low. It's a little bit more functional. He can cross over left to right. He can actually gain some separation in a way that Lonzo struggles because he has kind of a high handle. Can he continue to develop as a shooter? Because I think the mechanics, or something that an NBA team is, I don't want to say like full on going to have to rewrite, but there are going to be some real adjustments there so that he can become a more consistent shooter. So, I mean, and then the defense is kind of all over the place. He's a pretty solid instinctive help defender, but I think he also might be one of the worst on ball defenders I've evaluated in a while. So it's, it's kind of a tough, it's a tough sell all over the place with these top three guys. There's no, there's no perfect prospect in this class.
2: Yeah. And and you kind of touched upon it, but talking to the people around the Warriors and the scouts, I think what makes part of what makes this draft so difficult is that some, so many of the top guys are hurt or aren't playing or might be done for the, the season. Obviously, Lamelo, James Wiseman, um, I'm blanking on his name now. The guy, the other guy in Australia, the guard, uh, uh, RJ Hampton, RJ Hampton. You know, there, there's a lot of these guys who they want more film on because they're, they're a little bit of mystery still. And the film's just not there. You don't really have much choice, but to just try to project. And, you know, from a scout's perspective, how difficult is that when, you know, (laughs) you, you don't have the film?
1: Uh, very hard. Uh, there's going to be a lot of scrounging around for high school and AAU tape. Like, you know, every NBA team has access to Synergy. And, you know, for the most part, Synergy does have high school games and SMAU games, right? Especially. So it's going to be a lot of us scrounging around trying to find some tape on these guys that is usable and uh, is in any way translatable to the NBA, I guess, is the way to put it. So, yeah, it's a really hard process. It's trying to uh, get as much information as you can, and a, a big part of it this year is going to be the intel work. Whenever you don't have a lot of tape on a guy, but you like some of what you see, but you don't like all of what he what he shows, you really got to rely on the intel, and you got to rely on getting information from the right people and uh, finding out what you can about uh, – just who these guys are and what their want is and what their work ethic is. What, uh, do they have a desire to be great? Do they, you know, live in the gym? Like all of that stuff, like some of that stuff down. I mean, like, I think that it can be overvalued at times at the expense of what's actually happening on the court, but it's important, man, especially whenever you're evaluating, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds that, you know, aren't complete as human beings at this stage.
0: We'll have more of my conversation with Sam Vecini right after the break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. that is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't
0: want to do another stomp you out speech. It
1: opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
2: One thing I've been hearing from different circles is just uh, that the Warriors aren't super high on any of the guys mentioned in the top three. Ball. Weisman or Edwards, uh, they don't think those guys are the type of prospects that truly warrant number one consideration in a normal draft. And uh, I, I think they look at them a little bit as more more as projects than would be ideal to take someone at number one. Um, what I've been hearing is that if if the draft were tomorrow, and like I said, obviously a lot can change, but if the draft were tomorrow and, we, and they got the number one pick. They would either trade down or they would trade out of the draft. And one guy they really do like um, a lot is uh, Obi Toppin out of Dayton. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about him. I know you've you've written a lot about him, and and I find him fascinating. Um, He's a guy who's 21 years old. Uh, but he's only a sophomore because he had that prep school year and an academic redshirt. But he seems like just a freak athlete. What are what are your big takeaways on him?
1: Yeah, Obi's a guy that I really like as well. I have him as a top ten guy in this class. Um, and you know, you mentioned the idea of the Warriors trading down or trading out. I mean, that that's what everyone around the league is speculating upon right now. It's just what the Warriors are going to do with this pick. And uh, th- there's a I'm not going to say that this comes from, you know, internal conversations I've had with the Warriors or anything, but there's a feeling around the league that they're probably more likely to trade out as well. So, you know, whether or not that happens, we're three months out, five months out, whatever it is, who knows, right? I'm certain that the Warriors have not made a decision on it. So, you know, that, that intel certainly lines up with what I've been hearing with Toppin, you know, great athletes, Really a good shooter as well, I think. You know, six foot nine, 6'11", wingspan. Uh, he played center for Dayton and just is such a mass, uh, mismatch nightmare for opposing teams because they run a very pro-style system. With Anthony Grant there, he used to be an assistant for Oklahoma City. They're just running, you know, essentially a spread offense that you would see in the NBA. And Toppin's kind of the key to it because he's a five that can shoot it. And the fact that, you know, he, teams have to guard him and space out to the three-point line, it's just kind of a mess for them in college. So you throw in the fact that Toppin can really handle the ball for a guy that's that size. You know, he can act in dribble handoff settings. He can drive in a straight line to the basket. Obviously, is an incredible leaper, to be sure. You know, what? what I watch with him, though, is the defense because I'm not as convinced that he's, a particularly good defender uh, whenever I've seen him in the past live whenever i've seen him uh, in you know on tape, I think he has really stiff hips and struggles to drop his hips uh, to deal with you know oncoming pressure from attacking guards and struggles to change direction a little bit whenever he's faced on the perimeter with you know, a switch situation or something like that. So given the fact that he's six foot nine with 6'11 wingspan, I think teams are probably going to have to play him at the four with, like, occasional minutes at the five, or he's going to have to be like a Rashawn Holmes type. And I am just a little bit skeptical. I'm not saying that, like, he's a bad player or anything. I actually really like him. I have him in my top ten right now. But I do have some – defensive based concerns that could lead him to being more of a like sixth man slash like fifth starter as opposed to being someone that has like real upside still as a late bloomer.
2: Right. Right. And that's, that's obviously a, you, you, when you're talking about a top five, top 10 pick, you want someone who's more than just a solid rotation guy. You know, you want someone who's a real true, Difference maker. And I think that's my, you know, just watching some film of him myself, I think that's my biggest trepidation is, like, I watch him and I think, this is a guy who can have – who's definitely going to have a long NBA career.
1: Yeah. But
2: is he a guy who can come in and be a foundational piece to a winning organization? I don't know. You know, that – You know,
1: and, yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't really I, – I would guess that he's not. But if you're the Warriors and you are going to keep a pick in this draft – do you need that like crazy foundational piece or do you need someone like Obi Toppin who in my opinion probably is more ready than most college players in this class, right, to come in and be a genuine uh starter or be like a rotation player in some way? Like if you can get that guy, that's that's not a bad option for the Warriors if they're, you know, trying to trade down from number 2 to number 7 and pick up an additional asset.
2: Yeah, and one thing I wanted to to talk to you before I let you go is just you, Obi Toppin's a good example of this. But it seems like evaluators are so obsessed with youth. They're so obsessed with those eighteen, nineteen year old guys who maybe haven't even proven much of anything. And you look at the past handful of drafts, and they're obviously souped the lottery and the first round are super loaded with you know guys a year removed from high school. You know those nineteen year old guys. And then you look at later in the draft, you know guys who been sort of hidden gems a lot of them are these 21 22 maybe even 23 year old guys who spent four maybe even five years in college and you can come in and help a team a great example of that being Eric Pascal uh last year who's had a really nice rookie season with the Warriors played five years in college fell all the way to 41 what do you think about that do you think that maybe there's a little bit too much emphasis put on youth In today's current climate
1: so it is complicated in terms of subject matter because part of it is a self-fulfilling prophecy right in terms of guys leave as soon as they are ready to leave which you know in some cases ends up being when they're 19 20 years old and thus it kind of automatically reduces the draftable pool of 21 22 23 year olds in Eric's case I believe But also, I am someone that genuinely believes if you're drafting at 22, you know, 24, I think I had Pascal at 23 last year on my board, take the guy that, like, can play athletically at the NBA level and has skill and, you know, has a a translatable game to that level. Like, Pascal to me was, you know, I never saw him as more than maybe a fifth starter, probably more of like a bench combo forward. But I thought that that's what he would become. And if you're at 23, I don't understand why you're not just taking that shot on a guy like that. Like, So whenever I'm at the top of the draft, I'm comfortable swinging for upside. Like I get that teams at the top of the draft really need to take that shot to try and get that foundational piece, right? And realistically at this stage, it's hard to find that foundational piece outside of the lottery, I think. Like, even Giannis went 15, Kawhi was, I think, 14, 15. Like, we can talk about these guys that get drafted lower, but, like, it's – not everyone's going to be Jimmy Butler. Like, you probably have a 1% chance to find Jimmy Butler if you draft him at, you know, 20 or whatever or 15 because I think he went 30. So, like, I I do get it, but I do also strongly believe that it is a – it's a real self-fulfilling prophecy that – Kind of limits the overall draft pool whenever you're, uh, whenever you're in this draft process where nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year olds tend to tend to come out as early as possible.
2: Yeah, no, I find I find the whole thing really interesting because you have a lot of these guys now who are seeing the benefit of just not playing. You know, they're just right. You know, a lot of these guys are like, you know, what? The less film I have, that might actually benefit me, which is such a strange. The mystery box, man. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. Like, hey, how if I just don't show anyone all my any of my weaknesses, I'll go in the lottery, you know? I mean, I think a lot of these guys who maybe didn't pan out lottery, lottery-wise, lottery part of the reason they went in the lottery was because you didn't see a ton of them, and so you got kind of caught up in, in the hype and caught up in their strengths, and you didn't really focus enough maybe on their weaknesses. And then they go into the NBA, and they just don't. Look ready, and it's like, "Oh yeah, my bad, I didn't see that they can't defend multiple positions or that. you know what i mean like it it's yeah. to me the whole the whole scouting side of that is is a fascinating thing to to look at I
1: still think that too many scouts that work for n b a teams to be honest do focus a little too much on scoring as opposed to just guys who can come in and knock down shots from distance and space the floor directly off the catch, or guys who can be multi-positional defenders, or guys that uh, make really quick decisions that lead to, like, skip passes versus, um, you know, true assists that go into a box score, right? Like Terrence Mann, for me, is a great example of that. Like, I I loved Terrence last year, and the Clippers take him at 48 in part because – they evaluated him as a guy that would really be able to help them a lot um, just in the way that he affects the players around him. I I do think that, uh, you know, there's a lot more that goes into scouting than just the box score. There's a lot that goes into it uh, even more than just, you know, the per season numbers that people put up and a bit too often evaluators do kind of fall back on those things? And I think that, you know, they fall back on them because if you take a guy that's supposed to go at, you know, 14 and you take him at 14 or 15 or whatever, you're probably not really going to get hindered for it. And what the most media people look for? What's the most, you know, college basketball – um people that are talking heads look for. They look for scoring. They look for all of the stuff that's readily available on the college court. And you know, I just don't think that that is a realistic assessment of where the NBA is going at this stage.
2: Right. No, it's 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 interesting. And and Sam, just as I let you go, just let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter, where they can read your stuff. Um you're you're one of my go to guys. Preparing for the draft, Uh, like I said earlier, just the depth of knowledge. uh, You can tell you really put in the work. Um, So where can they find your stuff?
1: Yeah, go to the athletic. I have a few things up today. We uh, uh, Mock draft's up today, so updated that. Uh, Danny LaRue, uh, Seth Partnell, and I kind of talked about the Minnesota Timberwolves in a conversation, trying to fix them a little bit. Um, and honestly, kind of tangentially hit on something with the Warriors with the Angela Russell and Carl Pounds. go to the game theory podcast you can find it wherever you find podcasting content, you know iTunes SoundCloud, Google play so yeah just uh, i'm I'm available a lot of different places you can You can find my work there
2: all right, Sam. I really appreciate it, man. I got head to practice, but I really appreciate you coming on that was super that was great stuff,
1: yeah, anytime,
0: Connor, feel free to reach out. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore and email me at claterno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.